Welcome to Songs You Should Know, episode 14, this time featuring the music of Rod Stewart. I'm Jimbo. And I'm the Mixter. And we're coming to you from the Songs You Should Know world headquarters located in a secret bunker in central Minnesota and from our satellite office in Branson, Missouri. We can't tell you exactly where the world headquarters is located in central Minnesota for security reasons, namely for the protection of our priceless vault of classic music. And Mick, I have to tell you, the addition has been done and decorated. The workers are out. There will be no noise interrupting anything. Just in time for Christmas. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But we can tell you that you can see Lake Wobegon from here. Wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say. There you go. They're not all, all exactly my, they're not all my favorite Rod Stewart songs, but they're all significant songs from Stewart's career and, and bring up significant discussion. You can go on all day long about, you know, how great the early Rod Stewart was versus some of the later things that he did. But uh, um, it's an interesting conversation to have. Because he's an interesting person. Oh, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Rod was knighted last year. Well, of course, when you're listening to this, who knows what last year is. But in 2016, (laughs) he was knighted for services to music and charity. So he is Sir Rod, just like we have Sir Paul. Sir Mick. So, Sir Mick. (laughs) Who would have thunk? (laughs) All these aging rock stars are knights of the realm. Yes. like a sci-fi movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Stewart came to prominence in the late 60s and the early 70s with the Jeff Beck group initially, and then with the Faces. And uh, though his music career actually began earlier in 1962, when he took up busking with a harmonica. (laughs) Can you, out there playing for pennies, uh, playing for pence, I suppose. Um (laughs) Out on the streets, subway stations, wherever. So he went from that in 1962 to 32 years later, in 1994, he he staged the largest free rock concert in history. He performed in front of 3.5 million people in Rio. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I guess I never. (laughs) I can't even imagine how you try to set up sound for that. I, I suppose it's, you know, it's a few thousand people that can hear what's going on and a few million people out there partying on the beach. I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to know but, uh, uh, how big that stage was for them to see him, but <laughs> must've had a video screen or two. <laughs> or what kind of, what kind of delay rigs they would have run or anything like that. But, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> so in 2008, Billboard magazine ranked him the 17th most successful artist on the Billboard Hot 100 all-time top artist list. He was a Grammy and a Brit Award recipient. He's voted number 33 in Q Magazine's list of the top 100 greatest singers of all time, 59 on Rolling Stone's 100 greatest singers of all time. As a solo artist, he was inducted into the U.S. Hall of Fame in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994, the U.K. Music Hall of Fame in 2006, and inducted a second time into the U.S. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012 as a member of the Faces. Wake up, Maggie, I think I got something to say to you. It's late September and I really should be back at school. I know I keep you amused, but I feel I'm being used. Oh, Maggie, I couldn't have tried anymore. I love that song. I, I do too. I don't know how you couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think that was one of the, one of the first singles I ever bought. And I remember listening to that over and over again with headphones on. Really? Yeah. What was the, uh, I should probably scroll down, but, uh, the B side on that was, well, actually Maggie, you know? Maggie may is the B side. Ew. <laughs> is it really? It is. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, yeah, yeah it, it's a. I mean, it's a great record, but uh, it, it actually is the B side. Um, and I'll play a little bit of the A side in, in a bit here, but we'll just keep folks in suspense for a moment. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if you. I don't know if you read through this, but um, talk about how it was recorded. Yeah. So this is from. Uh... The Every Picture Tells a Story album released in 1971. It was Rod's third solo album. The song was recorded in just two takes in one session. Drummer Mickey Waller often arrived at the recording sessions with the expectation that a drum kit would be provided. For Maggie, it was, except there was no cymbals that could be found in the studio. So the cymbal crashes had to be overdubbed separately some days later, which... I saw this and I went back and listened to it. I guess I can't tell. <laughs> I can't, I can't really either, but you know, so I suppose you're just playing air symbols, you know, you're just doing a silent crash yeah. at the right places. But uh, I read something one time about sort of the difference between uh, this certain style of British drumming and a lot of other straightforward rock and roll drumming and that they sit back further in the beat little, a little bit behind the beat. I've never been able to quite understand yeah. that, but I, um, I wonder how much of the sound of this track we don't quite realize is due to, you know, playing without cymbals the first time through, and then, then trying to dub right. that stuff in there because that must have been interesting. It is interesting. Talk about the yeah. music. Talk about the musicians. Talk, here. Yeah, I want to talk about the musicians because I have a, uh, well. I have a comment. <laughs> so Rod Stewart's on lead vocals. Ronnie Wood, uh, who we all know, Ronnie played electric guitar, 12-string guitar, and in, in, uh, bass guitar. I didn't know Ronnie was on this track until we researched this. 
Well, then let me get that. We'll, we'll finish and then I have a comment because I guess, uh, you know how rumors get started. And so apparently the, this was a rumor. So all these years I've, I've, uh, methodically thought that he played something that he didn't on this track. Oh, so Ronnie played, uh, bass 12 string guitar and electric guitar martin quintenton played acoustic guitar M mickey waller played drums it says cymbals but it was a couple days later <laughs> ian mcclagan was on hammond oregon and it says ray jackson was on mandolin somewhere in my youth i had the misinformation that ronnie played mandolin i was always under the impression and i'm not sure where uh -huh. i heard that or read that but Interesting. Um, so that's why I thought he was. I think uh, there's a little bit of controversy here steel. because <laughs> the uh, Ray Jackson was becoming famous and became more famous for playing in a group called Lindisfarne, I think. But um, on the liner notes, <laughs> the, the credits on the album say they, they credit mandolin to that guy from Lindisfarne. I can't think of his name right now. That's 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 Rod Stewart's credit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can't think of the bloke's name right now. <laughs> and, and that's what they wrote on the album. Apparently they wrote, that, apparently they wrote the linear notes uh, in a bar. <laughs> because he later um, he later sued for part of the songwriting credit oh. wasn't successful, but he figured that the mandolin was so integral to the success of that, that uh, song that he should have a, a partial songwriting credit. And also uh, there's another guy, and then, uh, Pete Sears on Celesta. Do you know what a Celesta is? I know what a Celeste is, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it's a funky little thing. It looks like a piano or a undersized piano. But it, oh, but, maybe I do. but it's um the the keys are uh, inside. They're hitting sort of metal bars, or they're they're triggering um, felt uh, hammers that are hitting little metal bars. So it, it has a very unique sort of almost almost toy piano kind of sound to it. I've actually I actually do know then because with uh, some symphonies that I've worked with, I do believe that I've actually had those on stage. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Yep, probably. All right. Gives that. Okay. In October 71, the song went to number one in the UK singles chart. It was his first taste of number one um, for five weeks. And it simultaneously topped the charts in the United States. The album also did the same thing, reaching number one in both places at the same time. And Billboard ranked it as the number two record for 1971. The song also topped the charts in Australia for four weeks at the same time. And since it was number one on both sides of the Atlantic, he was the first artist to have the number one song and album in both the U.S. and the U.K. simultaneously. So up to the, the, the Beatles hadn't even done that. Wow. For all, for all of their success in both countries, the Beatles had never had, at the same time, the number one song and album in both in both countries. Wow. <laughs> well, like we talked about, Rod had a period to, to where whatever he touched was gold. He was... 
Well, that smoky voice, man. He was the man. Yep, that little gravelly yeah. voice. So you know, and and he was pretty well known in the UK with you know his association with the faces and everything. The faces were very well known in the UK. Yeah, but um, he wasn't really known in America at all. So for this song to really take off was uh, was a heck of a deal. So, boy, I, I must have repeated like the same note three different ways on in my notes here. I see. <laughs> it's that important. We'll, to me. we'll, we'll ignore the redundancy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell us about the lyrics or about the lyrical meaning. Anyway, the story. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was fairly young when I first heard this. So, I mean, to me, it was, uh, to, to me, I, I, I almost get that, uh, graduate feeling. Of Mrs. Robinson, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, sure, yep. It's some, because I hear this. Similarities. Like, yep. yep, it's like, he's doing an older woman. God dang him, he's cool, you know? So <laughs> Maggie expresses the ambulance and contradictory emotions of a boy ambivalence. involved. Ambivalence. <laughs> wow. Okay. The, the English teacher in me is like, ambivalence. Somebody ambivalence. listening to this will go. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Let's cut that other stuff out and we'll start right here. Ambivalence. <laughs> and I'll be sure to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you will. Contradictory emotions of a boy involved in a relationship with an older woman. Yes, it was written from Rod's own experience. Not a boy. Uh, January 2007 issue of Q Magazine store recalled, Maggie May was more or less a true story about the first woman I had sex with at the 1961... I'll let you take that. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's Baylou. It's one of those French words, but yeah. Uh, yeah. At the 1961 Baylou jazz festival. So Rod was, was pretty young. Uh, the yeah. woman's name was not Maggie May. Uh, Stuart has stated that the name was taken from an old Liverpoolian song about a <laughs> prostitute. There you go. <laughs> Maybe she knows um, the honky tonk women. Oh, maybe <laughs> it was the first, it was the first big song of the rock era to feature a mandolin. And actually it wasn't even Stewart's first use of it on the album, because of course there is the song mandolin wind, yeah. which I, I did not pull from the vault. Um, but, uh, um, yeah. So mandolin wind obviously used the mandolin and then Maggie may by being a number one song on both sides of the pond really <laughs> popularized it. And now, finally, we can get to the fact that finally. Maggie May was actually was the B side, and here you can see what the A side was. I love the uh, the organ sound in there. Yeah, I, I love that song. So, so yeah, the A side was actually a reason to believe, but you know, some radio stations, the DJs are always flipping around, listening to different stuff. But uh, it became pretty popular to just flip the record and play the B side instead. 
And then I think in, in further releases of the song, obviously it was the promoted A side of the song, but uh, yes, originally it was, it was the B side. And uh, it's one of Stewart's best known songs, obviously. And um, yes, a live performance of the song on tops of the pops, toppers of the poppers, as, as the uh, Beatles used to call it, (laughs) toppers of the poppers. So all the faces joined on stage by DJ John Peel, who pretended to play the mandolin. <laughs> so, not only not only does Ray Jackson not get a, co- a a true credit on the album for playing, but uh, when they when they do a popular performance live, somebody pretends to play the mandolin. Yeah, not not somebody <laughs> a, a DJ. How hurtful is that? <laughs> Nothing against our DJ friends, trust me. Yes. What else do we know about the song, about the title? Well, if uh, everybody knows the song, so the name Maggie May, he never says Maggie May. It doesn't appear in the song. He refers to her as Maggie, but there's no chorus right. or anything about Maggie May. Right. So it's Maggie May was just uh, tacked in there. Yeah. So just a Stuart moved. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stewart moved to America a few years after this came out. He was doing very well in the UK, of course. Um, But at this time, I mean, if you were a very high paid entertainer or high paid anything, I suppose, you were taxed at such a high rate on the bulk of your income, you know, 90%, you know, we're talking in that stratosphere that you know, you get past a certain point. It's like, it doesn't matter if you make any more money because you're not making any more money. Right. God save the queen. <laughs> Give to the queen. And even the United States at that time, I mean, the top end tax brackets were much higher than they are now, but right. it was much, much better than England. So Stuart moves to, uh, to the United States. And, um, and this is at the same time. And you can talk about the stones. But, uh, yeah. This is the same time that, that the Rolling Stones left England for tax reasons, and uh, their most acclaimed album, Exile on Main Street, is actually a reference to their tax exile status. Because right, we're exiles, exiles because of tax reasons, and they went to France. Oh, yeah. They did. They dated. All right, we're going to be right back after this short break. Yes. Wake up, Maggie. Love that song too. <laughs> that was who didn't slow roller skate to that song. 
didn't. That's how I learned how to I skate was, backwards so I could couple skate, you know? Yeah. I think, um, boy, we had just moved to Omaha and it was like the first junior high dance I had gone to. And I remember, boy, I think Walk This Way was out and, and, um, tonight's the night and I'm trying to think of other, other songs from that era that, that I remember at that dance, but it's like, man, that's a, that's an introduction to puberty right there. Yes. Um, <laughs> now he had just moved to, uh, to America around this time and he recorded this at Muscle Shoals in Alabama. Which I didn't know. I guess I didn't know him. He went to Muscle Shoals. And it's funny because I was just at a show with the fabulous Armadillos here in Minnesota. Great band, awesome band. And they did a, a, a special show about Southern Soul, about music that had been recorded at Muscle Shoals and Stax and Sun, you know, these famous studios out of the South. And they had a singer do a great version of the first cut is the deepest, which was, which was also done at Muscle Shoals. And I thought, wow, I just, you know, you don't associate... Yeah. You know, Rod Stewart with uh, a big Southern recording studio. Right. And uh, so that, um, are you a fan of America? Not the country, America, the band. Yeah, we actually had this conversation and actually I am. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You're, you're more than I, 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 I fed you that one. Yes. Yeah. You're more of one than I am, but th- here's another connection I didn't know about. So you might as well take it. Yeah, so according to Dan Peak <laughs> of America, Stewart's inspiration for Tonight's the Night was America's top 30 hit, Today's the Day, which I don't know if I've ever heard that song, but uh, Peak recalls that one evening when he and his guest Rod Stewart were playing together in Peak's home recording studio, I played Today's the Day, the song I had been working on. Ron said he liked it, and that gave him a, an idea for a song. Of course, after his recording of Tonight's The Night came out, I laughed when I remembered what he'd said. I'm sure I'd probably smack my forehead and said, why didn't I think of that? So, <laughs> like, like a V8. <laughs> Dang it. So. I, I didn't know there was a connection between Rod Stewart and the band, the group America. That's, uh, wow. I suppose he just moved to America. So. Boom, boom. I mean, you know... I, as they say, it, it it's a small knit community. It it's weird who hangs out. I mean, sure. I'm going to take the musicians on this one. Um, aside from Rod Stewart, of course, and Britt Eklund, mm-hmm. whom we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute here. But uh, the song is performed by the original four members of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, who were also colloquially known as the Swampers. So when Leonard Skinner sings Muscle Shoals has got the Swampers and they've been known to pick a song or two, they're talking about the house band from the Muscle Shoals recording studio. See, now that line makes sense. I don't think I ever knew that. I just figured Muscle Shoals has, you know, the Swamps. They're talking about the Swamps. And I'm like, what? Yeah, no, the Swampers are, uh, that was the house band. And so when, when Stuart, you know, moved to America and went to Muscle Shoals to record, um, because Muscle Shoals was the home of all these great, you know, bluesy, southern sounding, you know, soulful songs. It seemed like an ideal place for him to go. He meets Barry Beckett on keyboards 
Roger Hawkins on drums, David Hood on bass, and Jimmy Johnson on guitar. These are the original Swampers. There are a few more would come and go over the years. But um, the famous story that they tell is that when Stewart arrived at the studios and saw the musicians getting ready, he refused to believe they were the band. He was sure the guys he had heard playing on those records were black. And he had a hard time accepting that four white guys were the band. <laughs> Tell me the real band. No, we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on, guys. What's going is there, on? Is there another room in here? <laughs> are they downstairs? Bring them out. Come on. <laughs> so this was the number one song of 1977 on Billboard's U.S. Hot 100 chart. Not just 100. You know, it was it was number one for you know, weeks, a few weeks here and there, but it was the number one song of the entire year. I believe the best-selling song of the year. So, wow. However, it only made it up to number five in the UK <laughs> charts. And I, th- I think, I think there's a reason <laughs> for, for that as well. You might as well talk about the, uh, the lyrical meaning, and then it, it may explain why it didn't get as high in the charts. That's a good point. Uh, UK. So, of course, Stuart makes his attentions clearer on this song as he lures a young lady into the bedroom. The secret is about to unfold, upstairs before the night's too old. The, the levacious lyrics got the song banned by the BBC, which <laughs> objected to the line, spread your wings and let me come inside. You know, I often wonder how he got away with that, but <laughs> in America, he did. So that answers my question. And uh, Right. And, in the UK, he did not. So the ban was lifted later due to public demand, and the song became a UK hit. But like we said, not number one. Yeah, that so that that line that line was the sort of the the the, the linchpin. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it was a little too lascivious for uh, for the BBC, which is funny because I mean you could see bare breast on you know BBC television, but you couldn't. Uh, you couldn't say spread your wings and let me come yeah. inside. So I think I think perhaps because it had been, you know, sort of delayed or or not been been able to be promoted as early on, that that may have something to do with it only reaching number five. Who knows what else came along and, and knocked it out? But uh, so there's there's possible explanations there. Um, the song was recorded and has been recorded a number of times, um, a lot, mostly by British artists, as far as I can yeah. see. But uh, Linda, Linda Clifford, Nicky Moore, Anthony Cavanaugh, uh, Terry Steele reached number 44 on the R&B singles chart. And Alison Crawford <laughs> recorded it on Grease is the Word. Wow. Now, there is another interesting story about this song, and I didn't have time. I was kind of pushing to, to get stuff ready for us to record here, but um, Janet Jackson did this song, but she also added her own uh, wrinkles <laughs> to it, um, <laughs> literally. Um, so the lyrics that she sings imply that she and her partner are about to share a threesome with another woman, and so she begins the song by saying, this is just between me and you and you. <laughs> Additionally, each chorus addresses a different person as she sings, because I love you boy in one and because I love you girl in another. So uh, Janet Jackson was out there 
and pushing wow. the boundaries. Yes. And of course, R- Rod Stewart and Tina Turner had a lot in common. And, and uh, you know, at that time, especially with uh, Tina's spiky hair and, and moves and stuff. So yeah. um, Tina often included that in her live set during the 80s. And, uh, and she and Rod, do they sing together on with another Rod Stewart song on her nice and rough video. So she does, uh, she does another Rod Stewart song, but I think, um, she also did some singing with Stewart. Of course, didn't have time to look that up either. I'll have to get on the research staff. Come on guys. Yeah. Well, now that so, we're back at full, all right. Now, now you can talk a little. Yes, bit. let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Brit yes, Brit Eklund. Actually, finally. there again, I, I don't ever remember her name uh, being associated with the with the lines at the end. But the song features a French spoken part, which you know, let's give it to Rod. So we're talking about he's luring a sexy girl, and then at the end, you have this French speaking woman, and I'm like, yes. Because as a kid, there you go, man. It was, and she's not she's not just speaking French. She's yeah, she's uh, murmuring and yeah, moaning so, French. So you know what she's doing, <laughs> people. So the song features a French spoken part from Britt Eklund, who was Rod uh, Stewart's girlfriend at, at the time. I was going out with Britt Eklund. I just moved here. I remember I got her drunk. Pissed as a fart to sing the old French bollocks on the end because she didn't want to do it. Well, there you go. <laughs> so she was she was a little shy about yeah, doing so that stuff. And um, if you if you if you remember the official video for this, uh, Rod Stewart sitting yes. in front of a fireplace. He's got a guitar, and Britt is sitting in front of him, facing him. So you just see the back of her head. So. You never do see her face in the video, but it does, of course, end with them right. going upstairs and and uh, leads into that uh, murmuring, moaning French. Yeah, which but, is uh, a great touch. So <laughs> it was primarily recorded at Muscle Shoals, but the final vocal um, was recorded at Caribou Ranch Studios, where Stuart Eklund and producer Tom Dowd spent several days. Some radio stations play edits of the song, shortening that part, <laughs> the coda, as well as the whispers, uh, because they were deemed too suggestive for airplay, uh, especially in certain parts of the country where that could get you banned yeah, from the... Probably where the air. song was recorded at, which so. is kind of funny. <laughs> probably in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. <laughs> you can't do that in Alabama. It's the same thing. <laughs> You can make Jack Daniels here, but you just can't drink it here. What? (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Make Jack Daniels in a dry county. (laughs) Who knew? Uh, This is one of Stewart's favorite live songs. Uh, It it finds its way into the set list more than any other song, except, of course, for Maggie May. Yes. Um, And when they perform it live, nobody has to do the cooing and the moaning at the end. Um, they they use a guitar for that, and that's that's why the guitar is the sexiest instrument. Um, so they they replace it with guitar, and I didn't know this, but you know how they have a show, uh, an ABBA show called Mamma Mia, you know, uh, based around mm-hmm. you know all the ABBA songs. So there was actually a musical called Tonight's the Night that opened in London. And it was featuring Rod's hits in much the same way with kind of a loose story and then Rod Stewart's songs. Wow. 
it closed a year later. It made it, you know, for a year. But uh, right. um, Tom Tim Hauer, who played the lead role, Stuart Clutterbuck, <laughs> later joined Mike and the Mechanics. So that's your. Well, there we go. Of, <laughs> that is your piece of trivia for that. That song just wants to make you bounce, doesn't it? It's that bass. It does, you know. It it sort of came has come to haunt Rod because he's like, there was a time where he said, well, I can't be singing that when I'm 50. (laughs) Well, he just... just, Now he's 70. Yeah, and he just sang it to open the MTV Music Awards, video video music awards, just, you know, this in 2017. But uh, we'll get to that too, but... uh, so this is from his 1978 album, Blondes Have More Fun. And it was written by Stuart and Carmen Apis. Apis. Um, and I, I looked this up and Carmen himself says, well... A PC, yeah. He says, <laughs> it, PC. He says it's, a, it's actually a PC, but since he's been with Rod Stewart, it's a piece or a piece. <laughs> depending on how Rod decided to say it. And then, so that's what people sort of know him now as Carmen Apis. So, or Apis, but um, yeah, it was supposed to be Apisi. So can you imagine having to, uh, well, I suppose he had a successful career. So it was like, well, you know, yeah, I guess I'm set, set for retirement. I might as well let them mispronounce my name. But um, so, and uh, Rod, Carmen, and Dwayne Hitchings, it incorporates the melody from a song Taj Mahal by, I believe it's Jorge Benyor, who is a Brazilian artist, and the string arrangement from the song Put Something Down on It by Bobby Womack. And Stewart admitted this, and he came to a settlement with uh, Benyor for subconscious plagiarism. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as far as what the settlement went for, what, what the settlement terms were. But he claimed that the synth line from Put Something Down on It was fair game, as, as it was just a line of backing and not the melody of the song. And actually, I did go into the vaults and see, do we have anything from the Brazilian Jorge Benior? <laughs> and like we said, Stewart played before the largest audience ever, at the, or the largest free concert ever at Rio in Brazil. And he admits that he subconsciously had heard this line somewhere and that's what came to him when they were putting together um, because Carmen actually wrote the musical outline of the song but when it came to putting in uh, those melodies and stuff that was Stuart the melodies and the words that that came in over the top so I'm going to play you just this is a little bit of uh, Jorge Benyor 
uh, and hmm. his song Taj Mahal, right where it gets to the part where Rod Stewart had to go, oh yeah, listen to that. So at that point, Rod went, whoa, listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) I got an idea. (laughs) Boys, put the beers down. We're going back to the studio. (laughs) Well, no, he didn't didn't say that before. It's like when when he was was approached by this guy saying, you know, you ripped my song off and and played that back. And and Rod had to go, oh, man, okay. Um, Hmm. (laughs) on the other hand i'm going to play something a little more subtle for you and this is from bobby womack's song and it's here's the intro to the song and you're going to hear about the time he starts to sing and it's pretty faint in the background so listen for it but you're going to hear something familiar you know on my side of the town person wanted something, they had to put it in the wheel car. Now y'all know what I'm talking about. And that same thing applies to anyone that's looking for love. And that's why I'm telling you. I say, if you want my So you can hear in the strings there, the synth line. Yeah, the strings. And uh, Stewart figured, well, (laughs) Stewart figured that was probably fair game. I mean, that was just, you know, a little backing line in there. It's not the main melody of a song or anything. That's uh, fair game. (laughs) That's fair game. I can get away with that. But, uh, oh, you know, and I forgot to, to put the musicians in the notes, but I did, I did look them up. Um, yeah. yeah. Give it to us because because they're all pretty cool. <laughs> well, the, yeah, well, the Rod Stewart band, the core of the band was Gary Granger on guitar, Billy Peak. That's what I couldn't think of, yeah. And Billy Peak also on guitar. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Cregan on guitar and backing vocals. So he had a lot of guitar support going on there. Yeah. And and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Phil Chin on bass and backing yes. vocals, and and Phil was always um, very animated and and very noticeable in the videos and stuff too. And then of course we have Carmen Apice or Apice um, on drums and backing vocals. But then there's a long list of people that that um, also contributed: uh, Dwayne Hitchings on guitar, or keyboards and synthesizer. Roger Bethelme on drums, Polino De Casta on percussion, Nicky Hopkins on piano shows up. Um, yep, Gary Herbig on flute, Phil Kenzie on horns. Not necessarily on this song, but on the entire album. So it's hard to break out who was right. who was contributing to this particular track. But right. um, Phil Kenzie on horns, Steve Medeo trumpet, Tom Scott tenor saxophone, Fred Tackett on guitar. Tommy Vig on percussion, I've heard of him. Mike Finnegan, background vocals. Max Gronenthal, background vocals. Linda Lewis, vocals. Catherine Allison, piano and background vocals. And Del Newman, string arrangements. I mean, it's a long list of people. It was a highly, highly produced album. So, yeah. So, talk about the critical acclaim. 
the critical acclaim. Uh, Billboard ranked this, uh, it's number four on its top singles of 1979 year in chart. So, and there again, 1979, not that it's a disco song, but it definitely, I think, uh, met the palate of a lot of people that, that, that like that dance music. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Rolling Stone ranks it, uh, the song at number 308 of its list of 500 greatest songs of all time. So there might as again, well, I might as well talk about the lyrical meaning too. Well, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, as Carmen Apice says, uh, it was a story about a guy meeting a chick in the club at that time. That was a cool saying. If you listen to the lyrics, she sits alone waiting for suggestions. He's so nervous. It's the feelings of what's going on in a dance club. The guy sees a, ch- a chick he digs. She's nervous and he's nervous and she's alone and doesn't know what's going on. They end up at his place having sex and then she's gone. That's the whole reason I got into rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne. Maybe that's why I like that song. So. <laughs> Dwayne Hitchings. uh who also co-wrote and, and was one of the, the musicians uh, on the track, says it was kind of a spoof on guys from the cocaine lounge lizards lizards of the Saturday night Saturday <laughs> night fever days. We rock and roll guys thought we were dead meat when that movie and the Bee Gees came out. The Bee Gees were brilliant musicians and really nice people. No big egos. So Rod and his brilliance decided to do a spoof on disco. Very smart man. There is no such thing as a dumb super success in the music business. <laughs> See? <laughs> there you go. So actually, you know, I mean, they had been listening to things like, uh, oh, Miss You and uh, a couple of other more rock and roll oriented things. And they, they wanted to do something like that. And, and Rod sort of wanted to do something to take the piss out of disco. And it ends up being this huge rock disco hit, you know? (laughs) So, um, uh, 97, the song was remixed by the English techno house group Entrance for their second album, happy hour. And it features lyrics from the Millie Jackson version. I should have pulled that up. That would have been interesting. And then, uh, it was featured in the film, a night at the Roxbury the following year. So, Let's see here. Uh, Paris Hilton, <laughs> famously, recorded this wow. on in, in 2006 on her first album. So, yeah. You know, it's a pretty shallow song, but I don't think she quite plumbed the depths of it either. So um, that's kind of a joke there. But uh, <laughs> yeah. here, here, here's, an, here's another use of it, though. <laughs> It was used in an animated TV commercial for Chips Ahoy, where a cartoon cookie <laughs> sings. I don't know if I remember that. Maybe I do. I don't remember it either. But uh, now, um, just, and I'll say in 2017, so probably recently as you're listening to this, but uh, um, DNCE releases a new version and it features Rod Stewart and they teamed up to perform it in the 2017 MTV Video Music Awards. Wow. And Stewart opened the very first VMAs in 1984 with Infatuation. Remember that song? 
I do. And so here he, here he is in 2017, all these years later, still opening it. And he's 70 years old singing, Do You Think I'm Sexy? <laughs> <laughs> and he was a big hit. I mean, people were talking the next day about how awesome Rod Stewart was. So, all right. So <laughs> here's some irony that in the settlement that you probably couldn't do today. <laughs> so the, the, the financial settlement for his plagiarism, his subconscious plagiarism, you know, of, of the song from stealing this Brazilian artist's um, melody was that the royalties from the song were donated to the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF. And Stewart performed the song at the Music for UNICEF concert at the United Nations General Assembly in January 1979. I'm not sure that in today's political climate, you could combine a song so overtly about sex and donate the money to a children's fund. Hmm. <laughs> there's Which some... of these two things don't belong together? <laughs> there's some, I remember that's there's on some, Sesame Street. There's some layers of, you know, I can just see some uh, marketing advisors going, boy, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think we could do that today. So, um, and yes, it was criticized by a lot, a lot of people in the rock press because here we have an artist who had this soulful bluesy voice. You know, you listen to Maggie May and every picture, you know, albums like every picture tells a story and, and um, all of a sudden we're going, we're doing, do you think I'm sexy? And, uh, so, and it's like disco, you know, it's four on the floor type stuff. But a lot of other people said, hey, you know, Paul McCartney's doing stuff like this. Rolling Stones are doing stuff like this. And, uh, you know, as you can see by where the song ended up, you know, you know, in historical charts, you know, in Rolling Stones list and stuff, it's like, well, it sort of stood the test of time to the point that a 70 year old man could come out and sing it at the VMA Music Awards. So. <laughs> all right we're gonna come back we're gonna come back in a little bit with some trivia yes And we're back for some trivia, the part of the show where I get to totally off the cuff, pull some questions out from Mick. He has not been prepped for this at all. has no idea what's coming. None. And I am going to make this one both easy and hard for you. Hmm. Easy in that it's something, it's something that you should know. You should be able to score 10 out. You should be able to score a 10 out of 10 on this with legitimately. However, the hard part is I'm not going to give you any hints. Ooh. All right. There's no, I, I do have multiple choice stuff here. I've got all kinds of hints I could give you, but I'm going to test your knowledge here 
and and put you on the spot because right. you know sometimes there's sometimes there's things you know, but as soon as somebody asks you, then you can't respond. You know, so we'll see if you can we can catch you on any of these because you should know all of these. All right, all of these songs, all all of these questions are about Maggie May. Oh, so just how well do you know Maggie May? In which month of the year is the song set? Late September. Yes. See, you know, (laughs) but uh, you might panic. What did Maggie steal? Rod's heart. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You stole my heart. All right. Number three. What is it that shows Maggie's age? Oh, I just had this go through my mind. Uh, the lines on her face. Nope. Oh, hold on a second. I'll give you a second shot. Okay, let me go through the lyrics again. Oh, the morning sun. Right. The morning sun. <laughs> it's on your face really shows That's your right. age. There we go. <laughs> Number four, what does Maggie do to the singer's bed? Um, all you do, uh, wreck my bed. Wrecked his bed. Right, she wrecks it. <laughs> all right, so right after this alleged bed incident, what does she do in the morning? Kicks him in the head. Right. (laughs) All right. Number six. In the last verse, the singer contemplates ways to get away from Maggie. What is the first thing he considers? Um, So the first one would be... uh, Going back to school. So it would be it, the first one is going back to school. Correct. I should collect my books and get on back to school. Number seven, what's the second option? He could steal his daddy's cue and learn a living how to play in pool. Right. And what's the last option? Oh. <laughs> I didn't know there was one. <laughs> now I got to sing that whole verse again. <laughs> I'm, let me run this again because I think it's a trick question. <laughs> if, if I'm going back to school. See my dad is cute. I'm playing pool. Oh. <sighs> wow. See? <laughs> when you get old, he could find himself a rock and roll band. That's right. He could find myself a rock and roll band that needs a helping wow. hand. That needs a helping All hand. All right. Now, I'm going to test your memory from earlier in the show because this was mentioned. Dang it. Um, which, which famous 60s group had an almost identically titled song called Maggie May, except the May in their song was M-A-E? Wow. Oh. This was from earlier in the show. <laughs> oh, I hate when that happened. 
It was mentioned in passing. Okay. Um, um, famous 60s group. Really famous 60s group. Oh, the Beatles. The Beatles had a song called Maggie May. Yes. All right. Last question. For all the bananas. At the end of the song, what does the singer wish? Ew. Hmm. Oh. Dang it. I got to sing it again because it just flashed in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He wished he'd never seen her. Well, it's other people. Yes. But he wished he'd never (laughs) seen her. Yes, yes. That's cor- correct. I was giving you some time to think. I was going to say, let's be way, 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 way quiet. Yeah. <laughs> he wish he'd never seen her face before. All right. Yes. So you got with a little bit of, you know, yeah, there was some angst along the way, but you, you got all 10 fairly, I would say. So, <laughs> well, you can always go to songs you should know.com. And that's where you can hear these episodes. You can subscribe to them uh, through iTunes or through your other favorite podcasting apps. Uh, you can email me at jimbo at songsyoushouldknow.com. Or you can email mixter, M-I-C-K-S-T-E-R, at songsyoushouldknow.com. Yes. Or even if you misspell it, mixter, M-I-X-T-E-R, at songsyoushouldknow.com. M O U S E. It'll get to me, people. Right. And then uh, I'm going to cough, so you keep talking. What's that? I said I was going to cough, so you keep oh, talking. Okay. But I took a drink of water, so it didn't matter. Just uh, be, be, before we do our other plugs <laughs> from the from the mailbag, <laughs> a uh, a Bill Norawood wants us to know that he scored. <laughs> 10 for 10 on the Glenn Campbell trivia. <laughs> All right. I didn't know it was a contest because for, for sponsorship opportunities, it's really mixed uh, trivia. Yeah. Well, but good for y'all. So well, that, we that's, encourage that kind that's, of, that's, that's worth, bra- that's worth bragging rights. Congratulations. Mr. That's right. Norwood. So that's, we do encourage that kind of right. stuff. And, Probably Mr. Norwood found out the answers just like you all can from the internet, Wikipedia, song facts, and songs. The same, the same interwebs, (laughs) the same interwebs that we all have access to. We just talk about it a lot. (laughs) All right. And yes, mom, mom, we still haven't run out of songs. So that's right. (laughs) Until next time. Take care, y'all. Be good.